Hello, I'm Oliver Wong. And I'm Morgan Rhodes. You're listening to Heat Rocks. Usually every episode, we invite a guest to join us about a heat rock, you know, an album that burns its way into our collective memory. Today, though, we wanted to tape an episode just for us, with Morgan and I revisiting an album celebrating its 25th anniversary, Little Kim's Hardcore. A different kind of high, you know, feel me on this. By 1996, it was clear that Lil' Kim was set up to be the baddest girl in the bad boy camp. Sure, it's a bit tokenizing that throughout the 90s, it seems like all-male cliques only had room for just one woman in their crew, but Lil' Kim was no afterthought or minority hire. This was Big Mama herself, armed with a low, sinister flow that held its own against any competition, regardless of gender identity. When Hardcore dropped that year, Kim proved that she just wasn't here for remix features, but that she could hold down her own album filled with raw, uncut-to-the-gut rhymes, production that could rock the charts and the jeeps, and most of all, an unbridled, uncompromised persona of over-the-top sexuality and swagger out of her Manolas, all with a touch of class and sass. It's hard to believe it's been a full 25 years since Kim dropped this heat rock on us, but revisiting this a quarter century later, and it feels like the Queen Bee still reigns supreme. Morgan, this One of Us episode, uh, I think, came about partly because we were just talking about how so many albums that we love are celebrating some kind of momentous anniversary this year. So it's the 30th anniversary of Low in Theory, for example. It's the 20th anniversary of Aaliyah's self-titled LP. But we ended up landing on Lil' Kim's Hardcore, and you, in particular, wanted us to get into this particular album. So why? You know, we, we, we do this show to talk about canonical and seminal albums and hardcore is that. It, I think it uh, was disruptive in terms of the, the landscape of, of rap at the time. I think she is definitely uh, Millie Jackson with bars. I think she was, um, she came out of that whole um, junior mafia, the mafioso. So she was the face. She was the woman in the in the mafia camp. Young bitch from the street, guaranteed to stay down. Used to bring work out of town on Greyhound. Now I'm Billboard bound. Niggas pressed to hit it. Play me like the chicken, thinking I'm pressed to get it. Rather lose the I think she's been highly influential on fashion, not just on female lyricists to come after her, but on fashion. She was name dropping all that Versace and that Gucci. And I think she just bought a breath of fresh air, fresh, and I'm using fresh because the flow was fresh. And I just have to give her credit for so many of the um, the styles that she birthed, the sound that she birthed. And so this has to be discussed because hardcore is, uh, to me, uh, unquestionable classic in the canon mm. of hip-hop history, in the 90s and mm. beyond. What are some of the attributes about it that you think make it that uncontestable classic? 
Her flow is so sickening. It's clever. It's raunchy. Uh, there's a little bit of shock value in there. She's got the person. Oh, oh, wait, wait, hold up. A little <laughs> bit of shock value? I think you're underselling that part. There's shock value in there. There's a persona. We bought that Queen B. I mean, there yeah. was no Queen B before Kim. Boss level, raunchy flow, conspicuous consumption, and I'm all about that. Okay, shout out to Conspicuous Consumption. Um, and also with just enough Biggie, just enough Junior Mafia, and a lot of Kim um, to yeah. make it to make it rock from start to, from start to finish. I got men in Switzerland. Even got sand in the Maryland. Bahamas in the spring. Baby, it's a big mama thing. Can't tell but the diamonds in my ring. That's how many times I want to come. 21 and another one and another one and another one. I need a backspin for a second here because you you mentioned something that I was actually going to ask you about whether or not this made it through the door at your mom's place. Because, I mean, given that, and we, as we've talked many times in the show, like Prince, when you were younger, that wasn't making it across unless you were, you were keeping it in secret. But you just told us that not only did you bring this into the crib, you were bumping this, I'm guessing, sans headphones, like you're putting this on the speaker system. And like, how, how did your mom react to that? Well, my room was so clutch and so player. Um, my my room was in my room was in was in the attic, and my mom had sort of like freaked the space out, and so I had it was nicely insulated. I was upstairs. Um, this was before I started working, so my brother and I um, had a lot of time at home, and we would just bump it. You know, yeah. it, I closed my door, and you know, after college, when you graduate from college, you think you're grown. There's always a moment yeah. where your parents remind you that you're really not because you're not paying any bills. But right. at the time, I was just like, "These are the golden years of hip hop. I'm enjoying it," and I just bumped it. I'm, but I bumped it. I hope my mom's not listening now because there's so many of these <laughs> lyrics that I, I, I memorize. I'm not gonna say them on the show in case she is tuned in. And mom, if you're listening right now, stop listening off. right now. Skip, yeah, skip to the next episode. We have so much stuff archived. Don't even listen to this. When I think about this album, it really is rooted in that mid nineties moment where, where people like herself and like Foxy Brown a year earlier create this, if not market change, at least a contrast from women rappers who even just four or five years ago were the dominant ones on the scene. So you have your queen Latifah's representing positivity, Afrocentricity, uh, pro blackness, uh, you know, alongside someone like, um, ISIS from, um, X clan, right. Then you have this school of people like MC Light and Salt and Peppa, Antoinette, who are the spunky tomboys who can diss and cap just as well as the their male counterparts. But Foxy and especially Little Kim, and with that title, right, Hardcore, this represents like a shift, right? It is about Number one, an overt, aggressive sexuality. That's obviously a big part of their characters, their persona. But it's also this shift towards like a harder hip-hop ethos sound style that 
is very much alongside Biggie's emergence, Mob Deep's emergence, Nas's emergence. And there's many other artists that we could fold in here, Wu-Tang, right? So that what we're seeing from someone like him, when we take a step back, we can see in that mosaic or the spectrum of where hip hop evolves over the course of the 90s, these women fit really well into where we hear these shifts, both in literally what they're saying lyrically, but also the kind of style and persona, as I was saying, that they are presenting to us as listeners. 100%. And I think in terms of, of Foxy Brown and Little Kim, the one thing I want to say about their emergence in hip hop is they played up a lot of the femininity. They played up a lot of the, we're getting dressed, we're sexy. Little Kim and Foxy Brown, with the fashion, they brought the femininity. They talked about getting their nails done. They talked about being dressed. They talked about going out their hair being long. They took it to another level that heretofore that we hadn't seen. It's so hard to believe that we're just, with this album, we're just a couple years away from the miseducation of Lauryn Hill. (laughs) It just seems like a complete, complete shift. But some of the rappers that you mentioned around this time, I think you mentioned you mentioned MC Light. We talk about, I think, Moni Love. We talk about Queen yeah, Latifah. Yeah. Right, or, or for right. that matter, Salt and Peppa. Mm-hmm. Um, no doubt. Bahamadia. When you put uh, Little Kim and Foxy Brown in the middle, there's a completely different dynamic, not just because of hip-hop and the changing in hip-hop, them. It's that New York, aggressive, but also sexy and sexual hip-hop. I heard about the car jacks and all the car tracks Out on me by your man Big D Stink Pukadash. I bought his life for three G's and some watches, then wet him like galoshes. No need to be mad, they already gone. Him and your hit man has something going on. The other thing about this era that really stands out to me too is thinking about how from 94 through 97, this was really the ascendance and you could argue the most dominant period for Bad Boy, right? 94, you got Ready to Die by Biggie. 95, Junior Mafia's Conspiracy album comes out. 96, of course, we're talking here about Lil' Kim. 97, you have um, both uh, Biggie's posthumous album, Life After Death, and then the Puff Daddy and the Family album. And I've left out probably, what, Total, 112, a bunch of other Bad Boy acts that could have also fit into here. I don't think any click was more influential in the mid-90s than the Wu-Tang, but I think you could make a really serious and convincing argument that Bad Boy was number two, uh, and obviously offering a very different ethos, right? And this is reflected in how they look. It's certainly reflected in their rhymes from other groups, other cliques uh, of that era. So Morgan, let's start it off here. I mean, thinking back now to the Bad Boy era, what really stands out to you? I was thinking about this uh, the other night because I, I was just thinking about that quote um, that was always associated to to Diddy that he invented the remix. P Diddy and Bad Boy Records presents. We invented the remix in stores now. But he invented so much more than the re- than the remix. He invented a culture um, around hip hop. Um, that I don't I don't recall seeing before Bad Boy. They came into the game mm. with all the albums that you mentioned, but not just hip hop at R and B. This is the same camp that introduced One Twelve. This is yeah. the same camp that introduced Faith Evans. This Total. is the same camp that introduced Gina Thompson. So mm-hmm. they sold themselves. Bad Boy sold themselves as a crew, a crew, a clique, a gang, all together in one. I mean, the production crew was called the Hitmen, but they yep. also they also sold. Um, ghetto fabulousness. They also sold um, this glamour. 
They also sold a lavish lifestyle, which was aspirational. But, you know, Diddy never failed to mention that he was balling, that he was rich. And so that lifestyle sprinkled onto everyone around him. And so when I look back at that era, I just have to say that I, I owe him so much of my youth and the dance floor because he just complete, he just churned out hits. And while he was churning out hits, he was telling you, we make hits, we do this, yeah. we do that, we do this. And until some of the cracks started to show in Bad Boy, in Bad Boy Records, and, you know, and as a group, they were the crew to be a part of. That was the mm. thing you wanted to be. You wanted to be at those parties. You wanted to hear those mm. records. You rushed out. He owned the nineties. You can't. You just can't. <laughs> you can't take that away from him. What did he say? It doesn't matter if I write rhymes. I write checks. And uh, he wrote a lot of checks in in the nineties. In the so when I look back at that era, I think they dominated. They really dominated. Um, it'd be an interesting. Uh, conversation to compare Death Row to Bad Boy, the similarities and, and the differences. But and then and and they're not just East Coast and West Coast. It's just a philosophy that I think was different. What just flashed into mind is the visual contrast with how Bad Boy versus Death Row literally presented themselves. Their look. When you think of Bad Boy, I think of I don't know white linen or gold lame suits, things that are just very shiny and light. And you think of the iconic image of Death Row from that era, which was, I think, that Vibe cover, which had the four core members, right? Dre, Snoop, um, Tupac, and then Suge. And they're all in black with these ginormous Death Row Jesus pieces. But otherwise, it's almost like they're fading in the background. Everything is so dark. And that contrasts just on the literal opposite end of this of the color or light spectrum from where bad boy was presenting themselves. So to me, that really stands out in terms of how each group saw themselves just even through this visual difference. I think one of the differences in, and I love the, what you're mentioning about how they looked because I feel like bad boys role models, you know, were, were, were the mafia, were the gangsters who were always clean. They were always clean suits and diamonds and furs. That's what they saw. And I think Death Row just looked at looked at looked at at, at other bangers, other uh, other gang members. And so mm. they they dressed in that. They had khakis and Pendletons and Chucks, and that's what we saw. And so I always thought that you know Bad Boy was very much like a little you know Bad Boy Junior Mafia Junior Sopranos. That's what they reminded me of the mafioso. The other thing that I think that needs to be said here is how. Bad Boy's rise and dominance, as we're talking about, ignited a very, very visible, overt backlash. And the most obvious, though hardly the only example of this, would be Jay Ruse, You Playing Yourself, where him and Primo, you know, essentially flip Player's Anthem and throw it back at the Bad Boy group, which, and I, look, I gotta be honest, when this first came out, I was like, yeah, Jay Rue, yeah, Primo, go at him. If you got so much cheese, where are the black distributors? And these record companies shake them down like mobsters, but imposters, like commercial locks are not rosters, always faking moves, never making moves. Ask to shake bottles, pop the government is breaking down, you fools. You work or we can give the devil back his loot for jewels. Looking back, though, I think what's notable for me is just the fact that the passage of time, and we're talking, again, about a span of a quarter century here, it's really mellowed where I used to stand on bad boys music. And so when I was in my twenties and this stuff was coming out, 
you know, I was much more ideological rigid about it and saw them as kind of like the wrong kind of hip hop as opposed to the stuff coming from the underground or whatever. And today I think I can just listen to it more as music. So whether or not it was, you know, deliberately aimed at the pop charts or aimed at the proverbial underground, those distinctions really don't matter to me as much as just how do these songs sound? You know, how do I like them or not like them? And it's not like I, I'm now re-embracing the entire catalog. There's still a lot of songs that Bad Boy put out during this time that I, I still don't want to F with. But on the flip side, there's just a lot of songs, including especially on this album, that I can totally rock with because they sound, they're fun and they're fun to listen to. And if one thing that Bad Boy tried to bring in this era, it was entertainment. There was that sense from it because Puffy's a performer and he wants everyone in his camp to think about how they're presenting themselves through those performances. I'm not necessarily a Bad Boy record stan, but I just want to give that camp credit, they stayed with the hits on the radio. Every summer they had a banger. Every yeah. summer they had something. Be it, you know, rap or R&B, like I said, the whole Car- Carl Thomas, 112, Peaches and Cream. Like, who who doesn't remember Peaches and Cream? Know what I mean? Peaches and Cream. I need Girl, you taste so good to me. And even when it got to the shiny suit era, they still had hits. They still had club bangers. And so I just want to give him that credit and, and that love. Yeah, I came out of the like, um, you know, you got to be a part of a cypher. Your bars have to hit. You have to blah, 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 blah. And after Biggie passed, we got a little bit away from that. Mm-hmm. But I still love the party anthems. I yeah. still love the party anthems. I mean, I give all the credit to 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 Craig Mack and, and Biggie for having those bars. But after... They were no longer a part of the of the camp. I still credit Bad Boy for keeping right. keeping the party rocking. I'm surrounded by criminals, heavy rollers, even the shiesty individuals, smoking, skunking, mad fillies, beating down Billy badasses, cracks and stacks and masses. If robbery's the class, then I pass it. Shit get drastic. I'm burying your best. Morgan, we don't have to dwell on this too much because I think a lot of ink has been spilled about sort of Lil' Kim versus Foxy. And I was wary about bringing this topic up because on the one hand, I do think it was certainly a big part of how the kind of media narratives around both artists were created. And we see this in practically every era is that it's like you can only have one. And we've talked about this on the show. It's that you can only have one female MC and then any new female MC is automatically cast as a competitor, right? It's very, I mean, it's very misogynistic when you really get boil it down. Yeah. That said, I feel like we should at least just touch on it lightly, if only just to say it was probably overblown. But that was to me a big part of my memory of when little Kim comes out with hardcore. This is, you know, roughly a year or so after Foxy's already come out with the Il Nana and they were, you know, throwing subliminals at each other, maybe actually not even subliminals, but just straight up disses at one another. And that did become, I think, part of the narrative around women MCs in the mid nineties was centered around these two particular forces. You know, one person's got bad boy and biggie behind them. Foxy had the firm, which was, you know, and, and she had was co-signed by like 
Jay-Z, Nas, et cetera. So that was, I think, a huge part of, like, the again, the narrative around how we thought about gender and hip-hop in this era. Uh. Firm nigga, we post to be the illness on three coasts. Familia, bigger than ecos. Y'all Danny DeVito. Small niggas, all I see is the penny ethers. That's all nigga. No shark in this year, raise a bigger. Fifteen percent make the whole world sit up. And take notice, now I take over. Y'all take quotas. I agree with all that, and I think a, a lot of it had to do with press mm-hmm. and rumblings around the camp, and just it is the the nature of both of those to pit women against each other and to pit black women against each other. And I think they had more in common than they than they were different. I think they were more, they were more alike than they were different. They both could spit bars. They both were the protege of someone. They both were the protege of prolific rappers, right? They both were part of the glam squad. They were you know individually glam. And I think that they secretly fed off of each other. I oh, think, yeah. yeah, I think they secretly fed off of each other. And I think there is a mutual respect. I think that um, what Kim had behind her was this machine of bad boy mm-hmm. records, mm-hmm. which I think mm-hmm. kept her in the eye more than Foxy was kept in the public eye. And I think there was a little bit of of, of issue with that, and maybe the feeling that Foxy would have been bigger if, or Foxy's career would have been bigger if. Um, but to me. Um, I credit them both with being a part of, of the change um, in 90s hip-hop, what they brought to the game. So right. um, I hate that that happened. I won't belabor the point, but I think they, they had more yeah. in common looking back on it. You know, I've been thinking about the relationship with them two in fast-forwarding to talking about Lil' Kim in a 2021 context, right? We've focused on what it was like 25 years ago, but if we think about the legacy of someone like like Kim, and I don't mean to oversimplify this lineage, but to me, I feel like Lil' Kim helped to beget Nicki Minaj, who helped to beget Cardi B, who then has now helped to beget this current crew of TikTok-fueled stars, which includes everyone from Megan Thee Stallion to City Girls to Doja Cat to Saweetie. I'm sure I'm missing a lot of people here. And I think part of what links all of these artists, on the one hand, yes, it's the overt, aggressive sexuality that we've been talking about. But I also feel like that we have come a very long way. And this goes back to a point you were making earlier, Morgan, about how, if nothing else, like Kim and Foxy as well, like they had bars. And it wasn't just shock value purely for the sake of shock value. You think of an, a group, and not like I think about them very often, but you know, if you remember Hose with Attitude, which was this thing that Ruthless Records put together, obviously riffing off of NWA um, in the late 80s. And yeah, that was their putting their overt sexuality as part of the hook. But I don't think anyone really remembers anyone in HWA for just setting the world on fire in terms of their lyrical skills. That shit, goddamn, I'm not the one that you could come on. I need a man with muscle that's big and strong because I like to fuck it once a dick hits sight. But the dick is so little, kind of gave me a I don't think it's difficult at all for anyone really to acknowledge that Lil' Kim was a really solid rapper and that especially today, you can't take anything away from any of the people that I just mentioned in terms of the current crop of women who've come up in the game in the last 10 years in terms of like Nikki has bars, Cardi has bars, right? Megan, 
Doja, whatever, like they can rhyme their ass off. And I think that is one of the legacies of Lil' Kim. It was about legitimizing them as performers, not just sex symbols, not just as shock uh, jocks, basically, you know, within their cliques. And also, I think she I think she empowered these young women. She empowered the next generation to take yeah. control of their sexuality, to, to sort of, in a way, flip misogyny on his head. Like, I'm not I'm not going to be a chicken head. I'm not going to be the girl that gets left at the club. You think right. you playing me? I'm actually playing you. You know what I'm right. saying? Um, what is it? What does Lil' Kim say? Sticky for your cream and your riches. Sticky for your cream and your riches. Jasmine Kabul, Demi Moore, Prince Diane, and all them rich riches. I mean, she's like, uh-uh. Don't think you're going to come up in here and run things. I'm running things. But I do want to draw the comparison that just as she and Foxy Brown were pitted against each other, they're doing the same thing now with Nikki and Megan and Nikki yeah. and Megan and Cardi. It's the same thing all over right. again. Right. They're They're pitting the most powerful female rappers um, against each other. And I think this is just, as I said earlier, it's a label thing. I think sometimes those beefs are good for competition, good for yeah. business, whatever. Right. Um, they're fun, but they're also at the root also deeply sexist too. So, and th- both those things can be simultaneously true, but let's, let's acknowledge both sides of it. Right. A hundred percent. I'm not your average lady. Put that on my creative. Me and my bitch catch flights to Texas. Niggas call us Crystal and Alexis. We will be back with more of our conversation about Lil Kim's hardcore after a brief word from some of our sibling Max Fun podcasts. Keep it locked. Hey, I'm Dan McCoy. I'm Stuart Wellington. And I'm Elliot Kalin. Together we're The Flophouse. A podcast where we watch a bad movie and then talk about it. Movies like Space Hobos, Into the Outer Reaches of the Unknown and the Things That We Don't Know, the movie. And also, Who's That Grandma? Zazzle Zippers, Breakdown 2, and Backhanded Compliment. Elvis is a Policeman. Baby Crocodile and the Happy Twins. Leftover Potatoes? Station Wagon 3. Herbie Goes to Hell. New episodes available every other Saturday. Available at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. Bye! Congratulations, you've won a ticket to attend an exclusive opportunity in a relaxing environment with two lovers. (laughs) Wow. Well, this sounds like a sort of proposition of sorts, but really it's an ad for our podcast. Wonderful. It's a show we do here on Maximum Fun where we talk about things that we like and things that we're into. I'm Rachel McElroy, and you just heard Griffin McElroy, and we are excited for you to join us as we talk about movies and music and books. Things like sneezing or the idea of rain. (laughs) (laughs) Can you get news or information you can use? Absolutely you cannot, because we're here to talk to you about pumpernickel bread. You can find new episodes on Wednesdays. So catch, catch the wave! We're back on Heat Rocks, and we're talking about the 1996 album from Little Kim Hardcore, turning 25 years old this year. So we got to get into the tracks, because that's what we do on this yeah. show. Yeah. So I, I have to ask you, what's your fire track? Queen Bitch. Um, I mean, there's a lot of really good stuff on here, but when I was thinking about this, it was the first song that came to mind. I went through all the tracks and gave them a quick listen and just reconfirmed, yeah, it's got to be Queen B. Couple of reasons. Number one, great title. Shout out to David Bowie who who titled a song like that back in the '70s. But really, I, I'm giving a lot of credit here to the Hitmen 
for doing such a masterful job of taking a little bit of piano from Roberta Flack. And then extrapolating that into this masterfully dark, sinister track. And of course, I think it's also just one of the best tracks on here showcasing, as you were saying in the first half, Morgan, just Lil' Kim's flow. And it should be noted that I think one of the things that got uncovered in in recent years was the fact that um, Biggie helped Lil' Kim work her way through how the song should sound flow-wise and that there's a reference track featuring Biggie basically doing the lyrics of Queen Bitch, which from a gender-flipping point of view, at the very least, super fascinating. Your cheddar would be better. Beretta inside the Beretta, nobody do it better. Bet I watch you like hurricanes and typhoons. Got buffoons eating my pussy while I watch cartoons. Sleep till noon. Rap pan bridge here. Baby drinkers beware. Mostly don't see where. Frank kill niggas wise for 1.5. Queen Bitch. Um, that's the fire track. That to me is lyrics to go. She's so nice on this. I mean, her flow so nice, aggressive. It's swaggy. It's yeah. confident. It's really some of the best bars I've heard her spit. And this album, she's nice start to finish. But this, and this is one of my favorite. I mean, there's so many favorites. I just have to have Christian play it so that I don't have the moral responsibility of saying it on the show in case my mother's <laughs> listening. But yes, if you could drop this, this is probably one of my favorite bars. I wet you like hurricanes and typhoons. Got buffoons eating my pussy while I watch cartoons. Sleep to noon. Rap pin bears here. Baby drinkers beware. Mostly dope she wear. Frank kill niggas wise for 1.5. Why you struggle and strive? We pick which bins to drop. The mafia, you wanna be him? Most of y'all niggas can't eat without pedium. I'm rich, I'ma stay that bitch. I've always I always liked that line about not being able to eat without per diem. That is that's fierce right there. That is. I mean, from the moment she starts out, if Peter Piper picked him, I bet you Biggie bust him. She's just like she goes, she goes, she goes. Yep. And so yep. that to me just still gets me so hype. And she's just it just we, we say spitting fire, but it really literally sounds like she's spitting fire. I think my runner-up for that would have to be Drugs. I love mm. Drugs, the song, Mom. I love Drugs. <laughs> um, I think the beat is the perfect tempo. Shouts to Shaft. Yeah. Shouts to Soul Man and the Brothers. Um, yes. I, I, it's, the, it's just so perfect. And really, I love Biggie on the hook, and I love him singing. Send it back to your greasy, freaky Arabic style. Shamukhtaha steezy to please me. You got to be well all, but the shell all with a tattoo that starts all. Before I forget, I think the other thing that I don't think either of us have talked about, it's not just about flow, it's about the quality of Kim's voice because she has that lower register which I think, you know, classically, at least amongst male singers, right, something that would be comparable to like a baritone, exudes authority. And given that 
Lil Kim is putting herself out there as the queen bee, right? Having that lower voice, I think really accentuates that sense of power and authority and that whatever I say, you better, you better stop and listen. I think so. I think that's something else that maybe people don't really talk enough about. They talk about the flow, but they don't talk about the voice. I feel like. They know, and, and she's and she never seems out of breath. She's not rapping too fast, where she's got to, you know, she's got to catch up. And that blend works perfectly with Biggie's voice. Yeah, it's it's the yin to the yang. They're to me, they're perfect together. I was going to ask this later, but I might as well get to it now, which is Biggie, of course, is all over this album. He, he's doing so many hooks. And yet I did not realize until sitting back with this, this, this week that I don't think he drops like anything approximating a 16. Like he does the hooks, but really nothing else. And it seems, I, I don't know how I feel about it. Cause on the one hand, it feels like a missed opportunity. Like, why would you have him here just to do ad libs and hooks? Why wouldn't you just have him on the track? No offense to larceny, but you could have just replaced larceny with Biggie. Like that would have made the song probably a little bit better. Um, did you miss Biggie not formally rapping on this album? No, because I felt Biggie was formally rapping on this album. So I felt his presence, right? And the flourishes reminded me that he was there. And so I I, I didn't miss him. I thought it was perfect. I thought that, you know how we say, um, you know, she spit someone out or it looks like he spit you out. It sounded like Biggie spit that out, but he but he created it. He wrapped it around the persona of the Queen Bee of Kim. And so I felt his presence uh, all over that thing. So no, I thought it was perfect. Mama proud of me, cause I stopped killing niggas for free. The ant clowns, boy, and hopes, nor and niggas love me. I keep my pussy fresh like Dougie. Watch the show as my flow bubble over like Moses and Chris Dow. Ain't scared to bust my pits down. Sipping hard and Chris Dow. Dream the camp. Large amounts. You know, back in 96, I don't think I fully appreciated just how damn funny so much of this album is. And I'm not trying to say that Lil' Kim was trying to be a comedian, but obviously so many of her lines were maximized for shock value and a lot of tongue-in-cheek humor, not to mention, you know, a tongue in other possible orifices. I'm so sorry to your mom right now. Oh my God. Um, just along those lines, just two favorite examples. One is from Dreams, which is, of course, Lil' Kim's cover or riff on Biggie's dreams of effing an R&B beat. Yeah, man. <laughs> oh, man. I wonder if anyone ever asked Prince what he thought of that, because I would have loved his reaction. You, you, know? Know, you know, he had to be hot about that. Like, what? Right. And then my other favorite example is from We Don't Need It. And this comes at the end of, of Lil' Kim's verses here in the middle of the song. You want to steal the pussy like a thief, like a thief. Now kiss the lips without the teeth, without the teeth. So I can bust the nut or two, come clean like J. Rue. Good night to you too, boo. So, yeah. And I, I didn't take that as a shot at J. Rue that she could have because J. Rue clearly had taken shots at like, you know, their whole camp. I, I, I didn't see that as a diss. It was just funny, right? You know, there's working in the come clean reference. I, I just, that, that it's, I just get the giggles over it for real. But my actual favorite moment is it's just how little Kim says true on crush on you. It's, and what's amazing about it, it's, it's literally the only part of the song 
that we hear her on, on that album version of Crush on You. And yet just one word is arguably Little Kim's greatest ad lib ever. We'll talk about this in a moment because a lot of other artists clearly love Crush on You because they've rapped over its track or they've interpolated the lyrics and kind of flipped it a little bit, especially in the latter example. If they're going to be borrowing anything from the song, it's the chorus and you have to have the true in there. You can change all the other lyrics, but you got to have the true. So that has to be, to me, the best moment is Little Kim just saying, true. A hundred percent. But I think that comes from Big Papa. Conversate for a few, because in a few, we going to do what we came to do. Ain't that right, boo? True. Damn, you're right. I totally forgot. Yeah, it all it does go back to Biggie, doesn't it? Well, yep. nonetheless, it's still, I mean, it's- It's still it classic. It's Yeah, it is classic. It's yeah. still classic. How about you? What's your favorite moment on here? My favorite moment is the interlude before dreams where Kim and her girls are discussing things. <laughs> this is going to be the episode that my mom actually listens to. She's going to be like, what were you and Oliver? But what, anyway, what things? What things? they're discussing things. I love the power of Kim and her girls. Like, this is what we're about to do. We're taking our thing back. I love her confidence. I love her swagger. And in the same way, I talk about the things that I learned about New York through hip hop, various parts of New York. I felt like I came to know Brooklyn girls, Bed-Stuy girls, um, through Kim and how they got down. So if we could hear, the interlude's so short, uh, Christian, if we could hear it. Oh, I had fun tonight, girl. Well, all the niggas up in there, you know, they trying to give me shit. Broke-ass niggas. No, you know what I'm saying? I'm from Brooklyn. Brooklyn, 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 I love Dreams as a song. I love her take on Biggie. And later on, I love um, Nicki Minaj's Barbie Dreams, which is a take on yes. both of them. So. Absolutely. Well, it's funny because I was just about to ask you what your favorite interlude on this album is. I know you are a big fan of interludes. This album gives us, I think, at least four of them. So, four interludes. But you've, you've told us it's, it's all about scheming. It, it's the opposite of take it. Okay, yeah. where big and C's are making plans for for escapades, sexcapades. Yeah, and scheming is on some. Actually, me and my girls are going to do that and screw yeah. your feelings. It's it's a business plan of sorts, and I love the entrepreneurial spirit of what they have in mind. Damn, boy, you see honey right there, yeah. the little one, yo. Oh yeah, he ain't got no. Nah, look at his. Nah, he ain't got no cash. No, man. fuck that. That That's chain big, probably big chain. Hell yeah, he you know no Vicky got the fucking dollars. Yeah, for real. You Let's know, let set that nigga, nigga up. Nah, yeah. you, only way you get that motherfuckers with some ass, yo. That's what I'm thinking. He Suck his out. dick. He probably I, like, he that like Menage Trois. <laughs> Run them pockets, right? You know. After that motherfucker be sleep or some shit like that, right? Yeah, yeah. Let's do that shit. Nah. Kim's like, we do this too. What about features? Your favorite. Yeah. This is not necessarily my favorite. I do think it's one of the most interesting just on this re-listen, which is I totally forgot that Jay-Z was on Big Mama thing. Yeah. And which strikes me as, as interesting only because, you know, obviously Jay and Biggie were tight in this era. So maybe it shouldn't have been that surprising, but Jay is also the only non-bad boy feature, as far as I can tell, 
on the entire LP. So I'd be curious, and maybe I should have just looked this up to, to figure out like what was the history behind that. Um, how did Jay you know, get chosen to be the one non-bad boy feature to, to put on there? How big and untrust you in the studio with me? Don't they know I'm trying to set you continuously? Pull a high power cool, make you jump ship. Be who you with, run with the Rockefeller crew. Trick you for the cheese, tear your womb up. Spread an ill rumor, make you flip on little C's. Twist your back. Now that's my actual favorite feature, though. I mean, Jay does fine on there. I, this is not like that the flow that he uses there, which was very much J 96, not like my favorite version of what he would do, um, in those years. But, you know, I got to give it up to little C's and biggie for holding down crush on you. As I said earlier, um, the album version in, in ways that are very surprising does not have a verse from Kim. And that we do, and I did look up the, the backstory behind it because it, it seems weird that like the biggest hit on the album doesn't actually have the artist who put out the album. Uh, it's because she was going through some pretty serious personal stuff and just could not, you know, be in the studio to record it. And so, for a song on Little Kim's album that is the definitive hit, Lil C's and Biggie on the Hook did a really great job. And then, of course, Kim was able to come back on the remix version when this came out on actual single and, you know, reclaimed her throne that way. Hey, yo, shorty, won't you go get a bag of the lethal? I'll be undressed in the bra all see-through. Why you count your jewels thinking I'm a cheat you? The only one thing I want to do is freak you. Keep your stone set. I got more. And that song is just fire the first time I heard that. It just that song goes crazy, and we got to give the hardest of hardcore love to to Jeff Lorber uh, for Rain Dance, from from which the yeah. sample um, that, that that they sampled wholesale. What was your favorite feature? No time, no time is my favorite fe- feature. Diddy and uh, and Kim. And mm-hmm. Diddy's not super um, heavy on it, but it's just enough. It's enough of Diddy and enough of Kim to make this work. The best chorus ever, the best video ever. You talked about um, how Bad Boy was gold. They're bathed yeah. in gold in this video. Yeah. There's a Platinum American Express card floating through the floating through the frame. And I'm like, this is what I want in life. You know what I mean? I just graduated from college. <laughs> These are the things that I aspire to. I can just imagine all the gold lame that's being worn, you know, in that video right now. They're coming down down an escalator, Diddy's dancing. So um, when Suge was like, if you don't want someone dancing all up in the videos, I was like, I like all the dancing up in the videos. Uh, so yeah, that's my favorite feature, those two together. He's only on the on the uh, chorus and, and a few flourishes, but, but I think it's perfect. I want to come back to Crush on You for just a moment because I don't okay. think I fully appreciated how many people have quote unquote covered the song. And as I was saying earlier, cover in this case could mean they basically just did their own freestyle or, or whatever over the original track or they're interpolating 
part of the hook or other parts of the lyrics, but there's at least two dozen quote-unquote covers of Crush On You out there. And so I, w- I thought we could talk about some of her favorites. And in my case, I'm just going to go straight ethno-nationalist, which is you know our, our man, G. Yamazawa, who of course came on the show to talk about uh, a Kanye album. And I think, what, four or five years ago, he put together a freestyle over the Crush On You track. The first time I hit the VIP, I had to check the time, it was 1.53. I seen a dime, she bought me a cup of Hennessy. I said it should be the bomb, but then I wondered, do I really belong? I want rap to the sun fade. shoot my shot, fuck a pump fake. Rock and run away down the runway. Super fun. How about you, Morgan? Do you have any favorite covers of Crush On You? Two favorites. The first one is Mimi, MC Baby, Mariah Carey, and uh, mm. Oh No No. Mm. When I heard that, I almost wrecked my car. I was in my car, and I heard that. I was like, oh, my God. So if we could just get, get a little bit of that, Christian, so you can hear. You'll never know what I already knew. After everything I already been through. I can't waste no time, pay no attention to you. I said no, 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 no. Ooh, so good. And my second favorite yeah. is the uh, the Lido Project mashup of Kirk Franklin's Melodies from Heaven and Crush on You. I mean, I never would have seen those two things together, uh, but they work together. So those are my uh, those are my favorites. And again, mm. we just got to shout out the jam. Crush on you is just such a jam. It's just it really such is. fire. All right. So this is a Morgan Road special, which is that if there's an album, sorry, if there's a song off this album that you would ever try to place, what song would it be, and what context would it be placed? I'd place no time. Mm. I'd place no time. And I don't know what the context would be necessarily. Um, I like what it's saying. Um, I, I, like I said, I mentioned earlier the conspicuous consumption, and that's a that's a those bars I say in in my regular life. I got no time for fake ones. I say that all the time, and so mm. I would place it somewhere. That would be the one for me. I just don't know where yeah. it would be. Okay, honestly, I do know where it would be, but I'm not giving it away in case any other music supervisors are out here listening. Get the game on your own, I okay? I understand. I got to keep some things for myself, but yes, that would be the one. Well, Morgan, if you had to describe this album in three words, what three words would you choose? Yo, she ill. <laughs> very true. Very true. He's a slut. He's a hoe. He's a freak. Got a different girl every day of the week. It's cool. I'm not trying to put a rush on you. I had to let you know that I got a crush on you. I know you see me on the video. I know you heard me on the radio. But you still don't pay me no attention. As always, we still want to leave our audience with some other listening recommendations. Uh, I'll start us off, and we talked earlier about Foxy Brown and how her album Il Na Na came out in 95. 
even though from my personal listening taste, I think hardcore is the better album. Uh, you know, I ob- absolutely would, would not try to write Foxy out of this era at all. And Ilnanas absolutely had some heaters on it, least of all the title track that she does with Method Man over a loop of Brick House. And frankly, I will listen to any song that's done over a loop of Brick House. No more sex in the old night, thinking it's all right. While I'm looking over your shoulder, watching the whole line. You hate when it's a ball, right? Ladies, this ain't handball. Nigga, hit these walls right before I call Mike. In the morning when it's all bright, eggs over easy. Hope you have my shit tight when I open my eyes. I think I'd first start with listening to um, one song off a mixtape that uh, Nicki Minaj did called Itty Bitty Piggy. I was on the plane with the wine. You could call me Whitley. I go to Hill, Maine. Listen, I'm the baddest in the school, the baddest in the game. Excuse me, honey, but nobody's in my lane. When you was in New York, you was fucking a Yankee. I was fucking with bass. I was pitching to Frankie. These- uh, but I would say go to Nicki Minaj, go to Queen Deluxe. I think you'll see the influence. I think you'll hear the bars. And I think she's just fierce. And I am hopeful. Uh, for at some point a collaboration between them both, which I think would be cool. But yes, Queen Deluxe, Nicki Minaj, 2018. Um, I'd go there. I tried to fuck 50 for a powerful hour, but all that nigga wanna do is talk power for hours. We beat the pussy up, make sure it's a KO. Step your banks up like you're moving at Yayo. Somebody go and make sure Karuchi okay, though. I heard she think I'm trying to get a coochie to Quavo. They always well, that will do it for this special episode, this one for us episode of Heat Rocks, talking about hardcore by Little Kim. Morgan's super fun, even if we had to. I'm going to be embarrassed next time I see your mom, you know, out in the world. But it was worth it, I think, just to be able to get into this. Hope you had fun, too. I did. And again, like I say in many, many shows, I am very churchy, but I know this album damn near by heart. You know, I'm a complicated and interesting individual. Morgan contains multitudes. Straight up. Thank you, man. Love you, man. But yes, I love talking about this album. It's worth a revisit, a rebump. Celebrating 25 years uh, this year. And... uh, Little Kim and this album was a game changer. So I'm glad we're able to talk about it today. You've been listening to Heat Rocks with me, Oliver Wong and Morgan Rhodes. Our theme music is Crown Ones by Thess One of People Under the Stairs. Shout out to Thess for the hookup. Heat Rocks is produced by myself and Morgan, alongside Christian Duenas, who also edits, engineers, and does the booking for our shows. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher, and our executive producer is Jesse Thorne. We are part of the Maximum Fun family, taping every week live in their studios in the Westlake neighborhood of Los Angeles. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.